What is crack-a-lacking, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Pavali coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes, who does not beat up on mall security guards or finish line employees. Uh, he respects all of them. We are going to talk about our most interesting teams for the rest of this season. Before we get started, the very quick reminder to please, if this is your first time or for some reason you're repeatedly listening to us and haven't subscribed yet, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, subscribe everywhere. If you've done those things, tell people about us. Retweet our promos on Twitter. Shout us out. Pull quote us. If Grant says something awesome, quote mm-hmm. it on Twitter. I will retweet it if you tag us. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. And follow us on the socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Grant, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing good. I just want to clarify. uh, I confine my violence to roller rinks and Foot Locker, just not malls. And what about the employees there? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all they're fair game. I just want to specify that I'm like, we should talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> just I didn't, so everyone's clear. Yeah, there was the report from WOPO that um, there's two, I guess, previously unsighted police reports about Morant. Uh, I just, I, I haven't read it yet, so I don't really want to get into it. I've only read parts because it came out while we were recording, but um, Molly Hensley Clancy of the Washington Post published an article uh, NBA star John Morant was accused of violent or threatening behavior in two police reports, including previously unknown allegations that Morant threatened a mall security guard. Four days later, a teenager told Morant, uh, told police that Morant punched him repeatedly. Uh, and apparently this is someone like pulled, quoted it from it. John Morant's mother called him after having an argument with a finish line employee. And he came to the mall nine deep and told the mall security guard, let me find out what time he gets off. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't know. I need to dig into the article, but just like yeah. the initial impressions is just like, dude, what are you doing? Can you we spend... agree? It's, it's a bad look at, at worst. Right. It's, and it's, it's, it's just, bad. even the, you mentioned that he apparently punched or tried to punch someone during a pickup game that is in the story. And it says that the teenager threw the ball at him, which is just like, are you asking for it at that point? So it's just like, there's gotta be more to this. And I, I'm just not look, John Morant is 23 years old. He has spent now 20 to 25% of his life as a rich human like you need to be better than this like this you should be able to detach yourself from these situations that's just that's where i'm at but are i'm not even the grizzlies aren't on my list of the most interesting teams for the rest of the season because i just don't fucking trust them so i don't know about you but uh, (laughs) well should they be i don't know i don't know (laughs) maybe now who's which team we'll try and get through like three each here which team uh what what are one of the teams that you find most interesting for the rest of the year all right. Well, I'm going to start with my agenda and bias and say the Warriors, um, because we just just as we saw this Morant thing come out, Curry's supposed to be back at some point next week. Uh, and we're so that changes everything. Right. In theory, I mean, the Warriors haven't the Warriors haven't been as good with him on the floor this year as in the past. I think the number I saw was 20 and 18. Don't quote me on that. Usually it's you know wildly superior to that. Um but I mean, the Warriors are kind of interesting down the stretch, even if he's you know not there or misses more time, just because of the zoom out situation of you're a defending champion. You brought back five starters and six of your seven, you know, highest minute players from last season. The young guys were supposed to step in for the players you lost. You also added Dante DiVincenzo, who's been awesome in a small role, best three point shooting of his career by a ridiculous margin. Uh, you're getting good play from two way guys, which is crazy. And you're still, as we're recording this, 32 and 30, and probably, you know, as likely to finish 10th as fourth, maybe more likely to finish 10th and fourth. So just 
Like what, when is the run coming? Is it coming? We've spent all year saying we're, you know, giving them deference because of their history, which I think is deserved. But at the same time, like we're now through three quarters of the season and we just haven't seen more than a couple blips, interestingly against Memphis <laughs> a couple times of the Warriors kind of being the, the capital W Warriors. So they're really interesting to me just because like, this also feels like a little bit of a last gasp because of the age of the core, because of the cost of the team, because of Draymond Green's player option. Uh, so yeah, they're my number one, uh, but I will readily admit to that being a severe case of homerism kind of affecting that opinion. Well, they are polarizing though, because you mentioned Steph coming back and they've hung around. Now they're fifth as we're recording this in the West. Yeah. And if they're going to get Steph back, that's a great spot to be in. It's just, this season has been so weird because I didn't envision us being in March and Warriors fans are pissed because Patrick Baldwin Jr. isn't getting enough minutes. And well, that just makes me inherently uneasy. Dante DiVincenzo has been great for them. I think we've seen a lot of stuff from Kaminga. I just, and Draymond Green, I think would probably be in the defensive player of the year conversation, even though maybe he's not the same level of dominant if the Warriors were just any better in the aggregate on defense. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen though, we've seen flickers and flits and moments and maybe mini stretches, but we've never seen like, the sustainable longer stretch of them just turning it on and looking like this title contender. And they, I think with Steph, yeah, they still have that level. Clay Thompson has been great on offense. Andrew Wiggins kind of didn't look right. He had a couple of good games before leaving the team, but like didn't look right since he's coming back from injury. There's just so many question marks, even when they're at full strength. And it's just like, you're asking if the run is coming. It's not coming during the regular season is almost over. Right. So it's like, going to come during the regular season. Probably not. It's going to have to come in the playoffs. Uh, I just don't know. When I look at them, and they are they, like they would make if we were to go like five, six teams deep each, they would make my list. I'm not going to name them now because you did, but like who, like against the Nuggets, against the Suns, like those are the teams that I think they need to beat. Would you pick them against the Clippers at this point? I don't like so. I would pick them to beat the Grizzlies. I'd probably I pick too. them to beat the Kings. I'm not picking them to beat the Nuggets or the Suns right now. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd pick them to beat the Clippers. Maybe I would. But like, and I guess that's a compliment. I just, they're so, I feel like I don't have a great feel for what the peak of this Warriors team is, is I think that's where I'm at. That's why this is, they're so confounding because we actually do have a great feel for what the peak is. Cause it happened in June. It's like, we've, we saw it. Like that was the peak. It feels like Jordan Poole is worse. He's way somehow, worse. Though. Yeah. He's, he's worse. And I, and I think there are numbers you can point to like what's going on at the turnovers are absurd. They're, they're so careless with the ball. They foul too much. They don't get to the free throw line. So they're just kind of losing the possession game and the math game every night in terms of like, they just have to be better per possession than the opposition to such a ridiculous degree. Cause they waste so many, but like, sure. that That's part of it. But I think what, what's hardest to figure out is that there isn't like a, the numbers don't quite capture it. And it feels like what's happening is they played a hundred game season. They felt really good about sort of quote unquote, validating the dynasty with a championship. Nobody thought that they could win. And it feels like they just can't get back the same edge or the same competitive urgency or whatever. Like, and that's just such a shitty explanation. Cause there's just no like substance to it. It's just kind of like, well, they don't quite seem to be as good or trying as hard or whatever. Um, so that's really unsatisfying. And that, and so, but that's also part of the reason that I think you and I both, if they ran off, like if they, if they did beat Denver or did beat Phoenix in a playoff series, it wouldn't be like, stop the presses. It would be, Oh, the Warriors just like 
are what they were last year. All of a sudden it came late, but it came like that, that wouldn't, you know, so that's why they're just so, you know, depending on where you sit on the fan side of things, like frustrating or confusing or, or whatever. Um, who's, who's your team? Unless you got more on the Warriors. No, my, one of my teams is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They, so Carlin think towns, the way they spun the report is like, it was positive that he might come back with almost 15 games left in the regular season. It's like, okay, well, what the fuck? That's <laughs> not, I don't really know how much of like a bonus that is. And in theory, he should help, but like, man, this team, could we talk about just, they needed to trade what, regardless of where you feel about D'Angelo Russell or whether you think the Wolves wanted to pay him, which I think it's clear that they probably didn't, or at least he didn't want to be there, which is why you move him for value in the first place. But they traded D'Angelo Russell in the midst of the best stretch of his career for Mike Conley, who's coming in averaging single digits, basically, for the offense, because you needed to make sure that, like, Gobert was properly situated. And, like, this is the degree to which you've now, you tried to account for Carl Anthony Towns' weaknesses, but now you needed to account for, like, well, how can we optimize Rudy Gobert, too? They're 23rd in offense since the trade deadline. Uh, They had the good win over the Clippers. Anthony Edwards is fantastic. Kyle Anderson kind of been a little bit up and down over the past month, but he was one of the, aside from Jalen Brunson, was there a better free agency signing than Kyle Anderson? I I honestly, (laughs) I don't know. What? Why are you laughing? I just, I mean, that's, that's a, that's an amazing, uh, I don't, I, I, nobody comes to mind, but holy shit, Kyle Anderson. I agree. He's been great. He's been great. Nas Reed, really good. But like, if I'm Nas Reed, I'm a restricted free agent. Why am I going back to the Wolves? They can technically pay me more. My role there, if both Gobert and Towns are healthy, is not going to be all that large. It's like, that's weird. But like, so Towns is going to come back. The offense has been really bad this year when he plays with Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert. And now you have no time to acclimate it. And I just, I don't know what this team is. They showed before the, leading into the trade deadline, it looked like they had turned a corner. And it's why I thought they ultimately weren't going to trade Russell. I might've pivoted back against that like the week before or whatever, just based off the noise. I just, what are they? And like, they've been really good defensively with Gobert on the court. He has not been as good as he is. Uh, offensively, like normally, I don't know if that's a, like Mike Conley there. Okay, how, does that actually help? But now you've you've winnowed down your shot creation by getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. And the other thing here is like Gobert has not been. They've been good defensively within the court, but he's not the same level of rim protector that he was in Utah. Maybe part of that is just okay, new situation and what's happening around him. But you also probably have Andy Edwards and Jane McDaniel's would have been Utah's two best perimeter defenders at least the last two years in Utah. And again, Edwards has been great. And so I see the top end outcome for this team getting to the playoffs. And maybe if they face the Grizzlies and you told me they beat the Grizzlies and they fuck shit up that way. No, I wouldn't be shocked at all, but you could also tell me that they don't make it out of the play-in against the Lakers team. They lose to in the play-in to a Lakers team that doesn't have LeBron. I also wouldn't be shocked. So what are, what are the Grizzlies and does Carlton towns coming back? Hell, I don't want to say it hurts them. Does it help? Their situation, I'm going to lean towards that because Carl Anthony Towns is, I feel like, somehow underrated now. But does it complicate their situation? An offense that has been turned over to Anthony Edwards is trying to figure out how to best optimize Gobert and was struggling in the minutes that those three played, Edwards, Gobert, and Towns before his injury. And you could say, well, the sample size wasn't big. Okay, they don't have any more familiarity playing with each other now, and the sample size isn't going to be big before the play-in slash playoffs start. Yeah, you said it. it's not a question of if that's good or bad towns coming back. It's a question of, does it complicate or simplify? And it definitely complicates. And it's already like kind of, it's complicated as it is because of 
everything you just mentioned. So yeah, they're going to be really interesting to watch. I want to go to an East team, but I can't yet uh, because one of my teams is Dallas. And it's not because I think, you know, both of these teams we've talked about already are kind of like sort of higher variants. We, you know, it's, oh, gee, you know, Minnesota could win a playoff series or the Warriors could make it to the finals or they could both miss the plan or whatever. Dallas, I don't think has the upside. It definitely has the downside, but the downside is what's so fascinating to me because of the stakes, right? So let's just, I, I we didn't prepare this, but like, do you think Kyrie Irving is on the Mavericks next year? Just like, holy, sh- holy shit. We need to cut this up and make this like its own clip. Uh, do I think Kyrie Irving is on the Mavericks next year? I'm going to say yes, because I think the money matters to him, yeah. which is why, and it was smart to force your way out of Brooklyn, get your bird rights onto a different team. And I think that the Mavs are just pot committed. You have to pay him. You don't give up Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and an unprotected pick that conveys seven drafts from now, in addition to two seconds, right? Yeah. Just to rent this player. You could say that you'll play the cap space game. You're not, you to get to the cap space that you would need to even get a Fred Van Fleet or Chris Middleton. And that's just like a weird consolation prize. I think things will eventually go sideways for them, but you have to, I think the money will matter for him. And the Lakers bugaboo, Suns bugaboo, I guess, I do, the Suns won, Kevin Durant's there. And so like, there are trades you could build. But like those two teams staying under the hard cap and a Kyrie Irving sign and trade, when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron in LA, and then Booker, Durant's money on the books in Phoenix, that's just too tough. So I'm going to say he is in Dallas. Okay. Out of convenience. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but the follow-up to do you think Kyrie Irving will be on the Mavericks next year is do you feel good about that? Like as an observer of the Mavericks who theoretically wants the best for them and every team, you don't feel good about that, right? No, no, why would you? So here's a problem. That's the best case scenario. The scenario you don't (laughs) feel good about. Because the worst case scenario, and look, they've lost, I think it's four out of five now that Doncic and and Kyrie have both played. They blew a massive lead to to the Lakers. Uh, they couldn't like now I can't remember who they played last night. I think it might've, who did they lose to anyway? They lost last night or Tuesday night. Um, and Kyrie missed the potential game winner and Luca did not touch the ball. Luca said he was cool with that. It was a good shot. It was not a good shot. It was a contested three off the dribble. Um, Kyrie got a shot blocked a million times down the stretch of that game. The offense did not look good except when Luca was hitting really difficult shots. So like if this goes badly, and if Kyrie leaves, which I think is, it's got to be like 60-40 or 50-50, or maybe it's even worse than that. I don't know. I just don't, where does he go? That's the thing. So I, I don't know. But to it was me, the Pacers, by the way. <laughs> We're like, they're a legit team, but yeah. I'm just. I don't want him anywhere near Tyrese Halliburton. Let, let Tyrese. No, no, no. I meant they lost to the Pacers. Oh, it was the Pacers. Tyrese. That's right. Yeah. You know why? Because Tyrese Halliburton blocked several of his shots and was just better. Uh, so I'm fascinated to see how this plays out over the last. 19 games I think they have left. Uh, And I'm fascinated to see the real big picture fallout of the potential for Kyrie to leave. And it's not just Dallas having nothing. It's Dallas having given up two really good players and a first round pick. And Luca then saying, what are we doing? Uh, Like, and we've, we've talked about, you know, the, him just being the next guy. I don't think it's likely, I don't think he's going to demand a trade in the next year or whatever, but like, this going badly and Kyrie leaving them with nothing except like lost assets is catastrophic. And so I want to see if maybe we get a 10 game stretch, you know, before the end of the season where like they just, the offense is totally unstoppable. And there's like at least a theory of how this team 
might function going forward because the defense is awful. They, they have no rim protection. Maxi Kleba, you've mentioned several guys as like, oh, this guy might be the most important defensive player in the league down the stretch. Like Aiton is someone that comes up. Maxi Kleba might be in the short, <laughs> short list of that. And he's just back from a torn hamstring, like way sooner than anybody thought was humanly possible. Um, and he was on a little bit of a pitch count last night too. So like, I just don't know how they, I, I just want to see if there is some faint hope of, oh, this is how it's going to work. Like I see it now. I can see how these two guys with role players around them could form a team that I would take seriously to like be a top six in the West team or make the playoff or, you know, win a playoff series. Cause like the result of not seeing that is like Dallas is just on fire for, for like the next five years. So that I, I just can't turn away from the Mavericks right now. The thing that's interesting is they have handedly won the minutes that Kyrie and Doncic play together. They're a plus 10 pro mm-hmm. and it. Uh, but the defense is a concern. Opponents are shooting 70% at the rim when those two are on the floor. And also, they've gotten lucky on opponent three-point shooting so far. Opponents are shooting under 30% on threes when those two are on the floor. I think they're going to get gobsmacked in the playoffs defensively when teams are going to hunt more. Yep. And just like, the Mavs have not done this a ton. Like, yeah, we've seen it. But like, it's been, okay, we're going to play, uh, like, it has to be Dwight Powell or Maxi Kleba as just mm-hmm. your your center there. We can't even get into the to the theory of, well, like, well, what if it's like, do we play these two with Christian Wood at the same time? It's just not in high volume. You, you probably can't. can't. You can't. I mean, it used to be, well, Dorian Finney-Smith would be like the break glass in case of emergency small ball five. That's not there anymore. Like Josh Green, I th- I don't know how you feel. I really like Josh Green. That's just not the answer to, a to we have three shitty defenders on the floor. Like Josh Green's not fixing that. You know, Reggie Bullock's not fixing that. Kleba is not fixing that. So yeah, it, it, it's going to be fascinating. Who, who do you have as your next team? Is it a West team? Go four for I'm, four. So I'm going to pick an East team, but I'm not going to pick one of the East teams I have because I'm convinced that you will have this East team. So we will get a chance to talk about them. I'm on with the New York Knicks. They are like, I, they're probably not going to finish fourth in the, the Eastern conference, but like there's a chance and I might even predict it at this point that they're going to finish ahead of Miami. So like they'll be in the top six and then they'll have, the five spot. And I guess you could, you know, do you, would you rather face, let's say Philly or Cleveland in the first round? You could, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know. I think I'd probably rather face Cleveland just because of sort of the, the lack of experience there, but they've been really good for a while now. I know people talk about, Oh, well look what they've done with Josh Hart ever since their five game losing streak. So it's basically since basically since January 1st, but it's since December 31st, they are 18 and nine. They've the least fifth best net rating. They're fourth in offense, 12th in defense. And they've gotten like Mitchell Robinson missed a crap ton of time during this stretch. Uh, like you've, you've had great basketball being played by Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall and Emmanuel quickly, not so much RJ Barrett and even Quentin Grimes on offense. Like you've had those two really struggle. Josh Hart has come in, been great. Now you do have Mitchell Robinson back. Is this a team that can really, this is going to be the term fuck shit up in the playoffs. And by that it's, do you expect them to beat if they go in, if, if it's Cleveland versus New York in the first round, would you pick the Knicks to win that? And like, what is their ceiling is could their ceiling in the East? Like if they, like if they don't have to play Boston or Milwaukee until the conference finals, like would they, and I guess that is that physically impossible. So that's physically impossible, but just like, can they win a playoff series? And just like, could they give an elite team? If it's a, if they meet a Philly, if they meet a boss, if they meet a Milwaukee, can they give that team a run for their money. And then just overall, should we be higher on the long-term 
I've defaulted towards I was wrong about the mode of operations and signing Jalen Brunson in general. I never thought the money was an issue. I just didn't necessarily understand the vision. I get the vision now more than ever. I still feel like iffy about their long-term ceiling, but I'm also wondering, that's not really fair, is it? Or is it I'm just like, well, Julius Randle burned us once after winning most improved player. Could another down year be in, in the cards? They are fascinating. And I don't. I think people are talking about them. And I think Emmanuel quickly might be my pick for six man of the year right now. I really need to go dig into the details for it. But just like short and long term, I'm fascinated by them all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think of like who would I favor them against, say Cleveland or Philly. And I, my gut is like, oh no, of course not, right? But that's that's looking at just you know the full season numbers. And the fact is, over the last month plus, the Knicks have been better than both of those teams, right? And and so I just think it's really easy to dismiss the Knicks uh, just because of the history and how it's just bizarre that this is an offensive team as much as anything. Like I, I don't, that doesn't like compute for me. Um, and so I guess I, I guess to, I, if I'm answering your question. I don't think I would, but I, I, I would have to think about it. I might change my mind. Like I, I just, I think they've been so good lately and it's in a way that feels legitimate because you know because guys like Brunson and like Mitchell Robinson really is just a good defensive center that is like a net positive guy I was always out on him I thought he was overrated I don't think that's the case anymore I don't even think that contract is that bad remember I I definitely shit on that contract but oh we'd have started showing apologies to Mitchell Rob no no no, there's only one center I apologize to uh but but yeah I, I think the Knicks are a good pick I so I have to stay in the east and this is probably, I assume this is the team you expected me to pick and it's Atlanta. Um, just because of the sheer novelty of, Hey, we got a new coach, uh, with like 20 games left and he's, we both agree a really good coach, but I don't know what that means for 20 games when you haven't implemented any of your stuff and you don't even know half the guys on the roster other than having scouted them, uh, as an opponent. So, and look, it just, you know, snapshot. Atlanta, as we're recording this, is eighth in the East at 31 and 31. Looking pretty good to make the play in because I think, you know, starting with the Bulls at 11, I don't feel good about any of the teams below that climbing in. So, okay, cool. Atlanta's going to make the play in. But like thinking about this, what they invested for DeJounte Murray and how little they've gotten in terms of improvement in the standings, uh, it's a high tense, high tension environment. It's been a high tension environment. There's the Trey Young. Is he a leader? Can we build around him? Question that has arisen this year with coach number two leaving and some some sort of iffy slash kind of immature decisions he's made about like press availability and how he's handled different, you know, just kind of doesn't want to be asked to be accountable, it seems like in a lot of cases. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that like, is this team broken? Cause they're, their most used five man unit, which is, you know, young Murray, Hunter Collins, who still can't make a three and Capella plus 11 plus 11.2. Like that's ridiculous. And they're better than they're good on both ends. It's not just like, Oh, Trey is, you know, making them a number one level offense. And the, the other amazing thing is swap out Capella for a Kong Wu plus 6.6. Those are their two most used lineups. They're both awesome. So like, is there something here? And that's why the the Snyder edition is so fascinating because like there really is a case to be made that if you just kind of figure out how to get like one more guy, maybe two more in the rotation in ways that work, you're looking at a team that should be like a 50 win pace basically. 
Um, but we don't know. And, and so we're going to maybe get some information on that down the stretch, but with all this other shit hanging over it about the future of the team, what they invested, the ownership and management upheaval. It's just like there's every single aspect of the Hawks will warrant watching for the next you know month plus. Yeah, they're and I'm just curious, like how much of an imprint can Quinn Snyder even leave coming in the middle of the season with inside of 20 games to play? But I do want to watch, like, is Trey Young going to be used differently? Also, it basically seems like if John Collins isn't going to be hitting threes, and we know he's like recovering from that finger thing still, that he might just not, that Jalen Johnson might be more like Quinn Snyder was singing the praises of Jalen Johnson. And so I wouldn't like, I'm with you. I will say to make it beyond this season, people have just sort of written it as the Hawks are stuck. They can trade, they have Collins, they have AJ Griffin who's been good for them. And they could trade up to three first round picks this year. Like if Mikael Bridges or OG no, and DeAndre Hunter, by the way, who's just been fine this year, you could trade some combination of that. Like I think that gets you into Mikael Bridges or OG Ananobi. And that's the exact type of player that they need to my, uh, in my space for this team. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, I'm higher on the Snyder fit as well. And so I don't think they're stuck as people think, but this is sort of just a, well, what can we do with this roster? Because I'm with you. Some of their top end lineups have just been absolutely killer at both ends. And just like, look, since the turn of the calendar, they're 14 and nine when Trey Young plays. And he's been playing better during that stretch. But I think the thing I'm watching for most is, well, I guess the two things is we want to know what the top end outcome is for them. But like, do we actually see anything materially different in the way that they are going to play during this short stretch with Quinn Snyder? My next team is the Philadelphia 76ers because there's just, there's too much hard in Houston noise. Now there's too much. We have there's to take it serious. <laughs> and so it's like, is it fate a complete or can they actually, if they go on, if they make it to the conference finals or if they make the NBA finals or if they win the championship, does that make it more or less likely that he stays? And do they have the ability to get there? I think that, look, Doc Rivers has actually been more fungible as a coach this year than people want to admit. Move Tyrese Maxey to the bench. You tried some different stuff at center. The roster is just still flawed. They have a ton of really good pieces. I'm starting to get really concerned watching, a, uh, I think it was the game against Boston, where it's like, I love DeAnthony Melton as a regular season player. Now I'm kind of like, is he going to be someone who's just like not very good for them in the playoffs? Hmm. And then there's also just Harden in big games. Like he just did not play well against the Celtics, but he's been fantastic this year. Joel Embiid's been a beast, but he's talking about how he's not healthy. I'm just, I, I think if, if we're naming contenders and we were really trying to shrink like the field, I have Denver, Milwaukee, and Boston as my certifiable contenders. If I had to include a fourth team in there, I think it's Philly, but then I also don't feel too great about that. There's still mm-hmm. some noise with like their defense at times, but PJ Tucker's also looked better lately. Then it's like, oh, your backup center minutes can still be pretty bad, whether it's Paul Reed, whether it's Trez. I just don't know. I don't have a great feel, I guess, for whether they're a true contender or not. I default towards yes, because I think in a league that has this much parity right now, there has to be more than three legitimate contenders. And I just trust them more. Any other team in the West, let's, let's say any other team, well, I guess Phoenix, belongs in there too so I, I really should throw phoenix but philly would be there as well but like what is what are they actually it's not just is this team contending for a title and then if it doesn't get there can they futz and fiddle it's are they sort of fighting to keep this core together or is it already is it donezo the james harden houston noise is just looming over everything with them moving forward yeah nothing nothing adds to the intrigue like the potential of not knowing how the results of the season will affect a guy staying or going. And that's like, that's the hardened situation because I hadn't even thought about that of like, if they, if they want it, 
is that just like, that's my, okay, I'm James Harden. That's my crowning achievement. I have my MVP. I have my title. I'm going back to Houston. to just, he just leaves, By the way, and you get nothing for him. It's not right. a sign and trade. He's out. He's just out. Yeah. He's just out. And then Joel Embiid is gone at that point, right? He's I don't gone. know. Maybe but I, that's the thing. So yeah, great pick. No argument there. I have to go in the other conference for the like, are they a contender and pick Phoenix? Uh, and for my, just for my money, we've talked about this off air. I'm picking the Suns to make the finals. I'm not picking them to win it because I think the title winner is coming from the East. It's going to be Boston or Milwaukee. I think I'd take Boston right now. Took Milwaukee early in the year. Uh, it's hard to get off of Milwaukee now that they just have stopped losing, basically. They just never lose. It's been 16 now, I think, or 15, whatever it is in a row. Um, but I, I got to go Suns, and it's it's she, it's just the sheer unknown. It's because in theory, you just add Kevin Durant to what they have. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I would, they have, it's not like a puncher's chance. It's like, they have a legitimate chance to just beat everyone, but that's assuming a ton. It's assuming DeAndre Ayton is going to be there like competitively, which has not been a, consistently the case. It's assuming Durant is health, like fully healthy and back to, oh, this guy is, you know, short of Embiid and, and Jokic and Luka is like in the MVP conversation and would probably win the poll of like, who's actually, let's get serious. Who's actually the best player in the world. Like he was, he fronts that list all the time when he's healthy. That assumes he's healthy. I don't know. That assumes Chris Paul at his age is going to not like have a total disaster of a couple games in the playoffs and, and be good. That assumes Devin Booker's hamstring doesn't come back. It assumes that the depth doesn't matter. It assumes a ton, but it's just like, I don't know the, the deeper you get into the season, the more simplified the thinking gets for me. And it's just, it's Kevin Durant. It's Devin Booker. It's uh, I'm not terrified of anyone else in the West. Like I think they could be great. And it's not like they have the same stakes as say Philly who might just lose Harden or Dallas who might just lose everything. Uh, but like then in the off season, are we talking about Chris Paul somewhere else? Are we talking about a big trade? Like what, what's, you know, what's what's gonna what's that gonna look like is Fran Van Vliet gonna end up here somehow after all so there's like real fallout but mostly it's just can a team with no ramp up integrate a super duper star and win a title like that that is a fascinating thing to me I am with you and the only thing that I would just add is because there are repercussions from it is this gonna be I think on paper it will be but is this more like when the Nets were healthy as soon as they got hard and they could have won the title that year yeah. and so is the transition going to be that easy for phoenix or is it because you have that sort of fourth mouth to feed in ayton and the wild card in ayton where it was at least Kyrie, kd and uh james harden were all known commodities on the court aside from their health or you could you could bank on what they were going to do does that add complication to the mix but i'm just like i think on paper they should just immediately be a contender because of how scalable their stars are just like they're deeper than credited like they just cobble together some really punchy bench units from them. So our final team here, I went with the Pelicans and it's just, they have been absolute dog shit since Zion Williamson last paid played 26th in net rating. They're just all over the place. I don't know. I don't think Willie green is done. I'm reticent to like, you know, especially when you're dealing with key injuries, Brandon Ingram didn't play for a huge part of this stretch, but just I'm very uninspired when I watch the Pelicans. I don't know why Josh Richardson's already getting minutes over Trey Murphy the third down the stretch of games. Um, Herb Jones, defenses just don't care about him anymore from beyond the arc. So I think you have to start asking yourself some tough questions 
no matter what happens this season. But what's going to happen with this season? Is Zion going to play again? He's dealing with this litany of body injuries. Uh, he's dealt with litany of lower body injuries already. His timeline's already been pushed back. I think it makes sense to be cautious with him. But if he doesn't come back like the season's over, if he does come back, what's the type of ramp up? This team was first in the West for a hot minute. They were tied for second going into the new year, uh, basically, I believe. So like, can they get back to that and sustain it? Because then they could really muck stuff up mm-hmm. in the playoffs. But can they sustain it? And it's just, if Zion doesn't play again this year, what are the questions you're asking yourself in the offseason? Because I already think you need to start making some, like when you're looking at Dyson Daniels and Trey and Herb Jones, it's like, and then the CJ McCall and Brandon Ingram, it might be time to sort of bust. This. There's depth, but it's just like, is it ever going to coalesce or be available enough to understand what it is or can be at full strength? And is that even top end outcome for them? What we thought it was a few months ago, I am not down on the Pelicans. I still think if Zion comes back, they could be really good. But if he doesn't come back, now you have to, you already had to ask yourself this question, but it's okay. Zion is a 40 game a year player or something. It might not always be available for the playoffs. What the fuck do we do? Yeah. And can we play? They should be, that's the other thing I'll throw it to you here. They should be better without Zion than they are right now. They're not a bottom five. They shouldn't be a bottom five offense. Can't take enough threes. Can't hit enough. Like they shouldn't be that bad. No, I, th- I agree with that. I think the Zion health thing relative to like how it affects his team near and, and long-term is like the, one of the most foundational concerns that there is in the league, just because of what you said, like, he's like the, he's like the bottom, he's one of the bottom blocks in like a Jenga tower. Like it doesn't matter how tall it is. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's just like you pull that out and the whole thing just is a pile of, of rubble. Like it doesn't, nothing work, nothing matters. Like, Oh, it's cool. Oh, you know, Ingram, Oh, Ingram's healthy. Oh, McCollum is, is playing well. Like Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones are great defensive pieces. Like good. But if Zion is going to, like you said, just maybe be there, maybe not, or when he is there now that we're accumulating these injuries, just not the same guy, then, like, what do you do with that? Because he's like, And their failure to just sort of, like, diversify the the big man. Like, I like Larry Nance well, Jr., but, like, the, their failure just to do anything differently after watching what happened to Jonas Valanciunas in the playoffs yes. last year, which is sort of like, what the fuck? De- dead last in opponent field goal percentage at the rim, 71.9%. Dead last in the league. And it's just like we talk about the Raptors and some other teams as this, there's just this glaring problem that has carried over from one year to the next. And you did nothing about it. Like it's, it's an, it's a episode tradition. We have to talk about miles Turner. He's not going anywhere, but like <laughs> miles Turner thing, go get that guy, go get someone that go is fucking just get Nas Reed for crying out loud. Who cares <laughs> who it is? Whatever they have will be better. Cause they're last, they're the worst. Like just get anyone and you'll be better like by default. So there's that, but yeah, the Zion thing is just, you know, it's going to be like, how many seasons will it be over the next five where we, where we go into the preseason saying like, what are your, what are your things to watch? Or what are like your biggest X factors or concerns? It's like, is I unhealthy? Just pencil it, like put it down in like Sharpie. That is going to be something we discuss before every season. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be something we discuss during every season. Uh, so it's just, I, I don't know what we're going to learn the rest of the way about Zion, because I think we both agree he's probably le- more likely to not play than play. Um, but the Pelicans are just like the ceiling's so high. We saw it. The ceiling is there, and then the floor is so low because we're just living it right now. So, so I think that's a good a good spot to stop for for. Uh, yes, please. I will say there was frisbee dog at a Louisville college basketball game. Took a dump on the court the other night, 
Uh, it was very apropos that it came at a Louisville game because that is what the Pelicans have just been doing nightly since the Zion injury. Perfect. Can you please take us out? I can. I can. With I mean, I don't have a transition from that. But <laughs> I, speaking I of dogs taking one. shits all over the basketball, it court. stands alone. It's it it's it doesn't need one. Everybody, thank you for uh, listening. If you have not done it already, uh, please follow us on all our socials. Subscribe every place you can. YouTube. Uh, check us out on our on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, all all the good, all that stuff that I will not be on, but Dan will check and make sure if anything is interesting, he'll let me know about it. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell friends, tell enemies, and as always, we finally close this out with a shout out to Frank Melikina and an apology to the one and only Jerry. <laughs>